Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so, so happy you're with us today. My dear friends, there are some really beautiful people in the world, and one of the best parts for me of doing this weekly radio program and podcast is that I have gotten to know so many of them. One of the most delightful and frankly surprising friends that I've made this way is our guest today. Father Nathan Castle is a Dominican priest living and working in a community of Dominican men and women who serve the University of Arizona in Tucson. So it's hard to imagine anyone who is a more traditional Catholic, but Nathan Castle is also a very spiritual man, and more than two decades ago, he was recruited by elevated beings, not in bodies, to do some extremely necessary spiritual rescue work. Before I first met Father Nathan Castle, I knew a lot about spirit rescue work. I thought I'd I basically knew it all, and I even had experimented with learning how to do some of it myself under the tutelage of the late, great spirit rescue expert, Bruce Moen. Then in 2019, I read Father Nathan Castle's first book, which was called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over, and I was amazed to find that everything in it is completely consistent with what I had heard in doing and learned in general in doing by now more than five decades of afterlife research. Father Nathan and the disembodied beings with whom he works have even invented a whole new set of protocols for doing what they do, and these protocols are are really entirely consistent with what we know and have learned in other ways about the death process and the afterlife. I was boggled. It it was altogether, altogether amazing to me. And the Catholic Church accepts all of this? That makes me feel, frankly, quite a bit differently about the Catholic Church. But on the other hand, the Catholic Church does other things that more traditional maybe it's surprising to say that churches don't do uh, protestant churches that are more straight laced maybe don't do uh, i mean like maybe exorcisms we, we don't see that from protestants do we this is father nathan castle's sixth seek reality appearance and we frankly love him here welcome father i'm so happy to have you back with us well, and I'm always honored that you keep asking me back. It's a, it's a <laughs> joy to be with you. We, we Frankly, we can't get enough of your stories. I, I think they're amazing. But what's wonderful about what you do to me is that I know so much in this field, and yet you keep, you're one of the few people who can teach me something new here. I, I, I just can't get enough of that, frankly. But first, for people who haven't heard your story, please just briefly, could you tell us a little, uh, just a summary about what is an afterlife interrupted death experience? What is that? Well, I was I read Raymond Moody's uh, book, Life After Life, when it came out in 75. I was a sophomore in college, and I was just uh, thrilled to hear these stories. And he wove together first-person narrative stories of being out of body and, and returning to the body. But then he also commented, uh, as the expert that he was, on uh, what uh, he heard and i chose to uh, to take the experiences that i've had and kind of make them sit alongside a near death experience except the people that i deal with didn't nearly die they really died they uh, <laughs> yes, in fact in, in my first book was the wizard of oz and the the coroner in munchkinland says she, she's not only nearly dead she's really most sincerely dead and <laughs> <laughs> that the people that I deal with are most sincerely dead, but they didn't have that uh, experience that involves sensing being out of body and the tunnel and the attractive light and maybe conversations with religious figures or relatives. Uh, they didn't do that. And the ones that I deal with had very violent, sudden deaths to begin with. So it seemed, right. I, I just thought maybe what if that if that other process is normative, Maybe dying suddenly, violently, abruptly might uh, disrupt, uh, rupture that that seamless passage. 
So I called it the interrupted death experience. Right. And very often it, their their deaths were, were um had negative things attached to them too, right? They're they they were shameful in some way or or there were negative things that happened in them as well. Many well, all of them were negative in that they were unexpected and violent, car crashes and uh accidental falls and drownings and but murders yeah. or even worse, uh where somebody intended the death of someone. Uh so there, uh, there's all, all of the people that I do, almost all, once in a while, I'll get somebody that had a trauma that happened to them that made them feel dead inside, but who kept living yeah. for some time and never resolved that trauma and went to their grave uh, with unresolved uh, trauma that made them rather shut down. So sometimes I deal with people like that who hope the afterlife was going to be um, one big miracle. And they found that that... Yes, that's true, but you still have to take part. You can't just be carried along by it. You have to choose and act. We should add just quickly that that um, when we before we're born, we plan into the planned lifetime we're entering two, sometimes three exit points that our higher consciousness can choose to take. And uh, so most deaths are planned deaths. Our, our higher consciousness takes an, uh, an exit point. And uh, these these deaths, the the people who are rescued by Father Nathan didn't die at an exit point. They died uh, uh, sort of uh, freelance uh, and in a negative way. Um, so these really were uh, 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 just just totally unplanned, um, negative, quite negative deaths. Yes. One of the things that happens in, I must have done about 450 going on 500 of these. And wow, you've been busy because the last time I talked to you, uh, it was 200 some odd. Yeah. Just about the time I think I'm all caught up. Then there's a big rush right before Christmas this year. Suddenly there was like Christmas rush. Christmas rush. So so I'm a little bit behind again, but uh, we, we get caught up. I have a lot of different prayer partners that are generous with their time. And then it's just a matter of moving at a pace that we can uh, uh, get by with. Anyway, there, there are, uh, there, it seems like we're the discharge staff in some sort of afterlife medical center that the people that die this way. So suddenly and violently needed extra help and it's given them, but they only need it till they heal sufficiently to move on to a higher plane that has more, joy and uh, freedom in it. And so we're, we're like the people, if you have to stay in a hospital, we're the ones on the day that you get discharged that help you make sure that you understand your meds and your physical therapy or oh. ride home, uh, kind of gathering yourself and moving on to uh, something better. What a lovely, sweet way to think of it. That is just beautiful. You know, and, and Jesus spoke of, uh, he told his disciples that there would be times when they reaped what they did not sow, that they came into the harvest that other people had worked hard to produce. And I believe that's true in this case. The therapeutic work that people needed to go through has been done already by others. And we are just at the tail end of the process, helping them get out the door. That's a beautiful way to look at it. I should say, too, that um, I, and I have always naively thought most people do leave at uh, this world at a, at a at an exit point that was planned. And um, but now Mikey Morgan, who's one of our regular guests, who really knows what he ta- is talking about, um, is a very high level being, tells us that 25 percent or more of deaths don't happen. Uh, at a planned exit point or in a normal way, and uh, and people do go off track for a time, and so uh, this is this is a very common problem. It, this or and there are a few other ways that they can happen in an ab- deaths can happen in an abnormal way. So what you are doing is truly, truly God's work. I'm glad you said that because it uh, uh, gives me an opportunity to uh, remind people that if in de- fact you've lost a loved one in a sudden violent death, please don't assume that they're stuck because they're probably not. I think it's uncommon. Uh, but even if they are, they are provided with everything they need. I, it's don't make your grief worse by thinking that, oh, my now now in the afterlife, my loved one is uh, is stuck and I need to get them unstuck. And sometimes I deal with that with uh, with people in hard grief. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. I don't don't assume that something is wrong when something probably isn't wrong. 
yes, or that you're responsible for things that you couldn't possibly know what to do about. Right. That's true. So, okay. So um, they're, they're the, you first under, hear from these people how? Usually it's in a dream, right? Yeah, it's, it's very consistently in a dream. Uh, for me, the Holy Spirit seems to have created um, kind of a, a row. <laughs> I stay in my row. I, I just go to sleep. I consecrate my sleep with a blessing before I go to sleep. And about once a week, I get, I receive a dream. I make the distinction between having a dream, which could be about the events of the day or my own psychobabble, or receiving a dream where it's not my content and it's being contacted by someone else with a message. Um, for much of my life as a priest, I've had to take a turn having a pager on the nightstand in case there's a hospital emergency requiring a priest. So it's like that. I, I get a message in the night that oh. awakens me to help someone. And then I, I, I listen, receive the dream. I write it down. And then as soon as I can, I make an appointment with one of my prayer partners to go into prayer and see what we can do to help. And these prayer partners um, are, are friends of yours or were associates of yours who volunteer to help you in this work. Yes. And they're quite varied. Um, the two, well, of the ones that I'm working with right now, uh, one is a couple that have Roman Catholic backgrounds, but are more involved in transcendental meditation and, uh, and other, uh, and, and especially, uh, hospice work as volunteers. And then another team is a psychotherapist and a retired dentist on other opposite ends of the country. <laughs> we just go together on Zoom and, we meet every uh, every other week. We and we schedule two hours at a time, and we can usually do two crossings. And they they each take less than an hour, so uh, we can do one in about forty minutes generally. So so the the, the dream happens, yeah. And and basically they're summoning your help, yes. And you you contact the prayer partners, and then what happens? Uh, first thing I do is go into protected prayer. I, I'm, I like to say I don't pick up hitchhikers on this plane or on any other. Uh, I, believe, <laughs> I believe that everyone is well made by the creator who made all things well, but not everyone behaves well and not everyone is safe company. So I first uh, I call on St. Michael, the archangel, who's a, an old and dear friend and my own guardian angel. Uh, some of your listeners might call them spirit guides or energy beings or something else, but I'm my Catholic language serves me well. I think my guardian angel. Uh, I call on St. Dominic, the patron uh, founder of the order I belong to uh, Mary, mother of Jesus. Of course, I make the sign of the cross. So that includes God who I've been taught is both one and three father, son, and spirit. So Jesus is embedded in the whole thing. Anyway, I have a whole posse of people. I think of it like a, a holy huddle being surrounded by huddle. light, okay. happiness, and peace that we do that first. And then I read the dream as I wrote it down in my journal. I usually read it twice, once for the mind and once for the heart, settle in and go into a little deeper focused uh, prayer. And then almost always anymore, we ask if the guardian angel would come on the line first to do something that resembles a microphone test because these people are going to borrow my voice and it's something they've never done before most of the time. Uh, so their guardian shows them how easy it is to do. We get acquainted a little bit. Uh, sometimes I ask for a little bit of clarity that the guardian can provide. For example, someone might have shown me that they died in an automobile accident, but they didn't make it clear whether they were male or female, just in the way they told the story. So that's helpful to know going in. Uh, so is uh, our, if we're in the United States or in some other country, that's helpful to know. And then sometimes the dream has a lot of characters in it, and it's not clear to me who it is we're going to be helping. So those kind of things I'll ask the guardian to provide. And they, we break the ice a little bit. You, you've dealt with the angels, I know. You, you know that they can be funny, and some can be quite serious and task-oriented. Others are just uh, lots of fun to be around, kind of silly. But right. they, they come on the line first, and uh, and they absolutely love the one in their care. And this is something like graduation day. They're excited because this marks a, a major passage for the one they love. 
Lovely. Okay. Well, go ahead. So tell the story. So that this person then uses your voice. Yes, I, I allow them to borrow my voice. That first happened to me when I was twenty-two, before I uh, entered uh, religious life for the Dominicans, and before I was a priest. And it happened again the following year. So I knew that that uh, that gift could manifest in me that it was present, even if it were latent. And then um, about 25 years ago, or even a little bit longer, uh, it began to be useful in this way. And so I I think of it as a gift of prophecy. In, in the Catholic Church, the, the word channeling in this context is radioactive. It upsets people. Uh, and so Hello. there's just no reason to do that. And I believe in, the, in that St. Paul, in his list of the different gifts, uh, that prophecy is... Well, it means pro just means for and uh fetes has to do with uh, speech uh, to speak for uh and and also the prayer of saint francis make me a channel of your peace i believe that um that it does feel something like a channel uh it feels like an energy moving through a confined space like a canal um anyway it's sweet and i'm co-conscious the whole time i'm not entranced i'm free to do whatever and i just cooperate with the person that is coming in they've all been through trauma uh, although they're, they're they don't they're not sent to me or my prayer partners until they're quite ready. So there's never any arm twisting or anything. They're quite ready to do what needs to be done. But yes, I do let them talk through to my partners. And uh, do they they tell you what their trauma was? Well, they largely did that in the dream most of the time. Uh, uh, do, you know, a, a dream can be very short, or it might be long, or feel like it's long. Uh, so sometimes the dream story itself seems to have a lot of detail, so they don't really need to explain very much because it's already understood. Other times it was uh, quite brief and simple, and so they really do need to fill us in on just what happened. They're, they're all talking about their violent death, uh, and so oftentimes they'll say, I can say that and I can tell this story now in a composed manner because I've told it enough times, I just don't have any more tears to cry. Uh, and the, okay. and after yeah. a while, you know, uh, maybe you and I will discover that too after our deaths. That after a while, it's only of moderate interest anyway. Right. We don't walk around on Earth talking about our birth, right? Um, unless it comes up, and maybe you could talk a little bit about it if you wanted to. But it's not uh, something that people talk about a lot how they died. And so then they they're talking to your prayer partners. Yes. And- mm-hmm. And then how? what's the moment of release then? What is that like? There there comes a moment in the conversation where it seems clear that we we understand well what happened. We see that they're ready to move along. And so my prayer partners have learned that there comes a moment when they're to ask, so are you ready to make that passage? And do you know who you'd like to have assist you? You're going to be going somewhere you've never been. So you need a help or a guide. Do you know who you would like that to be? So it it over the years, it's broken down. I used to always have them ask the question, can you think of anyone who loves you who has already died that you would be comfortable with coming for you? Uh, and so over time, the word has gotten out that that's our methodology. And so there are the ones that get in my line, and they call it a line, um, are already briefed ahead of time that they're going to be asked that. So we don't even need to ask them anymore. They sometimes even lead with it and say, is it time for me to tell you who's going to come for me? Well, I'd have come <laughs> Good. Uh, uh, and then sometimes they decide they don't really need anybody else because they've come to love and trust their guardian angel and uh, they're already here. So why bother anybody else? We can just, uh, 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 I've already got the help I need. And then once in a while, they want to take the luck of the draw and see who shows up. Very often they say I've been treated with nothing but with nothing but kindness and regard since I awoke here. I'm sure that whoever the next person is will be equally kind and competent. And then once in a while they'll choose a celebrity. They'll just say, "Wow, you mean I can, it can be anybody?" And I'll we'll say, "Well, we can't summon. We only invite. We're, we don't boss people around in the afterlife, but but we can ask." <laughs> and right. uh, and so sometimes they'll get. Uh, someone uh, rather extraordinary, uh, someone well-known here because they ask. 
Lovely. And then so they just go off? Yes. Sometimes it's simply going for a walk. Other times there's different conveyances, uh, uh, boats or cars or uh, escalators. Uh, recently, a hot air balloon. Uh, hot air balloon. <laughs> it, it's just great fun. A, a, a little an airplane from the late 50s. Um, yeah. It can just be all kinds of things that the one of the things that I that I've been struck with over the years of doing this is that at least among Christian people, the Christian imagination about what happens after death, I think, is way too paltry. You know, know. golden golden streets, you know, angels and harps or or God forbid, church services that go on forever. (laughs) (laughs) There people are you, you know how different people are here. Why would we presume that they're that they all want some generic afterlife thing? And, and God oh, created such biodiversity and variety here; it's it just continues on in the next plane, from what I've seen. Oh yes, oh it's beautiful there beyond anyone's imagination. It's they yes. they just you just have to let your imagination go wild, and that's not even enough. Yeah, how beautiful it is there? Right. Oh, and so you just give them this. This handoff opportunity, basically, there's a ceremony. It's, it's like you preside over that ceremony. Yeah, and it's really, I wouldn't even, I, I I lead a lot of ceremonies, and I don't even think it has that formality that we often attach to ceremony. It's just a, it's just a process, one thing after another, and there comes a moment when it's just time. We've already, we're just going to start repeating ourselves if we could keep talking. So it's it's really time to get on our way. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. And and, and you, you said you had a, a rather special story that you could tell us that, that you just, because you ask for their permission before you put these stories in your books or you tell them at a, when you give a a, a speech at a conference or where, where yes, anyway, I'm a celebrity. I should just tell everybody you, you were, we were among the first people you spoke to several years ago, but now you're a celebrity in this field, which it's I think funny. is wonderful. I'm beginning to, um, I, I, I recently I have a podcast that began in October, uh, which is uh, about what four months ago, and I, Raymond Moody has been my guest, which was a great thrill, and Evan An- Alexander will be tomorrow, uh, and uh, a lot of other folk, uh, Mark Anthony, you, you recognize a lot of these names, and then uh, yeah. and friends of mine, and my, my guests as well. I I enjoy very much doing this. I have to say. Sure. Well, and 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 you when you have a show, you get to decide what you're doing. I don't always have a guest. I I sometimes I just tell stories from the uh, there in the, the two books. There's a total of 26 stories that are in the public domain because I've gotten permission. But I recently got permission to do one that's going to be included in my third book in this series that I'm, I'm just beginning to work on. I've, in the in the new one, I want to choose stories. I think the subtitle is going to be "Please Let Me Explain." Oh. Um, so afterlife interrupted. Please let me explain. Uh, oh, that's some, wonderful. Some of the people are just have a way with words, or they can paint a mental picture. The way some are really good storytellers, and uh, yes. and the way that they explain what happened to them, how they went through it, what happened next, and what's happening in their the crossing that we facilitate. There's just such clarity and uh, and depth, breadth to it that. That's the, the the next thing that I want to do is choose some stories that I think stand out in that regard. Yes. Oh, yes, I'm sure. So so what what's the story you just got permission to tell? Well, I was uh, many in your audience would know IANDS, uh, I-A-N-D-S, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Yes. I was at their convention pre-pandemic. They had one that was in. King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, northern suburb of Philadelphia. And I was on a panel there. Uh, I was given 13 minutes to speak, and so were two other people, each of whom had their own uh, stories to tell, but we were grouped on a panel. Uh, And uh, I met this gentleman, uh, Michael, and uh, we finished our panel. We went to lunch together, and went into more detail about what I do. And I just said, maybe you'd enjoy being a prayer partner. Why don't we go up to, uh, go up to my hotel room and we can help somebody cross. And he jumped at the chance and was, uh, was a good compassionate listener. Anybody that's do- doing hospice work has got to be a compassionate listener. 
Uh, so we did we did one right there in my hotel room. And the, during during these crossings, it just seems rude to inject the fact that you're writing a book and don't leave yet, Roberta. I, I want you know I want to get your story in my book. Uh, that that can come <laughs> later. So uh, I don't chat up people who have died just for my amusement. But uh, if I think that their story is one I want to share publicly, I go back into prayer and ask if they wouldn't mind spending a moment with me to answer a yes or no question. May we use your story? So I've just done that with a news story. So want to hear it, don't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one, um, the dream, I'm going to read it because I, I brought it up on my screen. Uh, this was on August 13th of 2019. This is all it was. I simply saw a group of three African people. I think they were a family. There was a young man, perhaps in his 30s, who was smiling, a woman who might have been his wife, and a child who might have been been between 10 or 13 years old. All they did was look at me, and the man smiled. But I woke wondering if they're in need of the kind of help that we might be able to provide. So uh, I went into prayer to see if that was the case. So th it was it was like a snapshot that was also a video. So it just looked like a, a, a still photo, except the people in it were waving at me and staring right at the camera. So a little uncommon. Well, yeah. it, it, when I did go into prayer, we did our protective prayers and uh, a guardian came through. Um, well, actually, let's see. Yes, a, a guard. It wasn't a guardian. It was a saint, which was uncommon. It was His name is St. Charles Lawanga. Have you ever heard of him? No. He's not very well known. He died in Uganda in 1885 uh, as a martyr with a group of other people being martyred by the king of Uganda. And he's he has his own day on the calendar now because the um, both the Catholic and a lot of the other mainline Christian churches uh, have been doing uh, evangelical work in Africa for about 150 or 200 years. And now... In the Catholic Church, there's loads and loads of Catholics in Africa, uh, and so he's he has a, he's the first Black African saint. There were first century ones that were from the north coast, the Mediterranean coast of Africa, but they would have looked more Palestinian, maybe or Arab. Yeah, but uh, he he is clearly Negro and uh, more central or, or southern Africa, and. He came through and he um, he just said he loved these people and they had gone through the genocide in Rwanda. Good grief. Awful. So they had been murdered together as a family back in what I don't remember when that was the late 90s. Do you think do you remember when that happened? It, it's been going on off and on through through that period. Yes. Well, there was it was horrific, you know, all at once where people who had lived together in peace as neighbors suddenly reverted to tribal lines yeah. and um and there was this horrific genocide well this particular family saint charles came through and explained that they had died in a mass event he also explained that um in fact they had been hacked to death with machetes and oh. uh he and they, they didn't the 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 husband uh, uh, wanted to be the spokesperson for the family because he felt like his wife and daughter had been through enough trauma and he didn't want to make them retell the story. Uh, but oh. they, uh, and he said he didn't want to terrorize me in my sleep by showing me something so horrific. So all they really did is um, look as though they were looking through a window or out from a hiding place and wave at me and hope that that would be enough to get my attention in my dream. And it worked. Um, yeah, uh, the gentleman's name name was um, Abraham, and he explained that when the the violence began to happen, they ran to the local Catholic church where he was a lay leader. He was a catechist, and he trained other people for different ministries. And uh, he he gathered up his wife and daughter, who was I think twelve, and ran to the church, hoping that they would have. Uh, safety there sanctuary and once there they went they hid in a closet or something and hoped that uh it would pass them over 
And then eventually the doors of their hiding place opened and he hoped that it would be, you know, someone uh, that was showing them that they were safe. But in fact, it was their murderers. So a pretty awful story. Terrible story. Yeah. But uh, as was the case with all of them, they wouldn't be in my line if they hadn't been through a lot of healing that and were ready to move from a rather therapeutic level of afterlife <clears throat> onto something much more free and joyful. You know, most people, when they're released yes. from the hospital, I hope do something fun. You know, you don't have just more jello and broth. I hope you get to eat something nice or watch TV or at least sleep without the right. noise of the hospital. So they, they have the opportunity to go on to do other fun things after they make this passage, maybe yes. join up with relatives or whatever it is they want to do next. So anyway, Abraham explained that and, um, he explained that they got in my line because they saw that there was a Catholic priest and they were Catholic and happy about that. And that um, they had died at a time when they had been somewhat ecumenical and even intertribal. And then all of it kind of blew up and people reverted to thinking of others as their enemy and, their, and the other kind. And so he said for a while, it, it might be nice if we just were with our kind again <laughs> until we find the, uh, the, the courage to, venture out. So the fact that I was yeah. a Catholic priest gave them a comfort level. Wow. So, um, so I'm going to quote him a little bit. He's really sweet. He's he's saying uh, sometimes men in cultures are told that we're the head of a household. And sometimes in cultures where there's very strong masculine bossing of women in such places, right below the surface are the women running everything and making you know that they're the hidden boss. So I don't have any pretensions that I'm the male head of the household and the chieftain who will take my little family across. My wife is a very strong woman and proved it in the ordeal of our passing. And my daughter is her mother's daughter. So we're a household of three chiefs. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Isn't that great? But for now, I'm grateful that I can be the one to do the steering of whatever this is and let them simply try to move as calmly as possible into the next realm. So that's what you're helping us to do. I thought he oh, put that lovely. really well. Yeah, that's lovely. For a household of three chieftains. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he describes some of his work as a leader in his community uh, and how uh, that gave him a lot of purpose and joy. Um, and then he also said that there were other people who went through the genocide who were watching them do this with me. That. That so, his, so they're going to then come along and work with you and with others to or at least they're going to observe and maybe uh, find the courage to do it themselves yes they could at least okay. watch and see how this moved and decide whether it was something they were interested in and in, uh, in signing up for if you will good uh, so uh he he was uh he he went on to describe uh acculturation of art of christian art into the sub-saharan african context he said we were we were first brought catholic faith by belgians and they explained to uh to our elders that all of the holy pictures that they had of jesus and mary and any of the saints looked belgian yeah uh, they looked white or so many depictions of Jesus you, here. You often in your blog have that uh, picture of the, the young man who looks very Palestinian Arab rather than, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. That's or... how, that's how he presents now. He does not present as right. white. I, he, well, he didn't in life look white. Well, we he, was, that. he was describing catechizing children and helping them to, to know that, that uh, the heroes of the Christian faith, were beyond that kind of uh he didn't he didn't want it to just be a colonial experience of the faith that these yes. white europeans brought us this uh that's true but he said your 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 own artists are going to have to enculturate the faith over time yes so he was teaching children he described the process of uh taking corn husks which he said were very plentiful that corn was not an african plant but it grew very well there it was plentiful and easy to grow and they would they never threw anything away. They took the corn husks, dried them and flattened them under rocks or books and turned it into something like construction paper. 
And then <laughs> they used it for the children to cut and paste and make things from the way that we might construction paper. Yes. And he said they saved scraps of cloth and dyed them black so that those could be the faces and the hands of figures. And they, he was teaching children in a big class. He showed me the classroom. I could see it of children at desks making Madonna and child dolls. Oh, how beautiful. Out of corn husks and uh, black dyed cloth. And yes. so they were each making their own Madonna and child. So he went on to describe that and show it. And uh, before very long, um, who shows up but Our Lady of Rwanda. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> so the mother of Jesus shows up as Our Lady of Rwanda. Isn't that um, beautiful? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find, I'm, I'm scanning through a document here where she starts showing up. Um, she's so <laughs> sweet. Uh, she says, uh, 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 we talked a little bit about the fact how she's depicted differently and that I have a devotion to her as an old woman. Yes. Uh, Mary, the elder wise woman. Um, yes. She said, uh, I too grew old and my death is the subject of some, some speculation in the church about how it occurred, but I did end my life here. I do remember infirmity. Um, I remember I'm immaculate and all of these superlatives, but I'm rarely depicted with a cane or a bum knee or anything like that. But had you been here, you would have seen decrepit Mary. <laughs> <laughs> She's never depicted. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of no. me with anyone coming to help me from a chair. But late in the game, my body had all of the accumulated bumps and fatigue and so on. No need to go and do any of that any longer. But she was just trying to, to say, um, Michael and Linda are, I think, in their mid-70s. And I'm coming on 67. And she's just saying, well, I, I lived it to old age. <laughs> I remember what it yeah. felt like. Um, yeah. Oh, this is funny. You know how when you go to those conferences like Ion's? There's a bookstore where you can sell your books. Yes. She said, um, we're, we were at the conference, remember? We were in our hotel room. And she said, well, we've been trying to say to potential customers, look over here at this one, but without much success. Uh, we haven't been very successful at selling his books. But she said she tried. <laughs> um, anyway, let's see. She goes into a, a lot of detail about how she loves these people and uh, that uh, she's often depicted with crowns and gowns and finery. And she said, but I really lived a lot like these people did. We never threw anything away. Anything that we had was turned, was used three or four times over in any way that we could before it was gone or, or thrown out. So she really liked the fact that they were uh, doing these craft projects. And then just to oh, get to yeah. the end of it, um, Abraham described that uh, when things came, uh, when shipments came in from from other places, for example, a sack of beans or seeds, they would come in something like a burlap sack, but they didn't throw away the sack because it was sturdy. It had to be, you know, to ship things in. He of said course. we would often poke holes in the top of it and run some cord through it and turn it into a sled. And we would... Uh, we would put the children on it when we had to walk from place to place and we would drag them behind us on a sled made out of the burlap sack. Oh, of course. So, and the children liked it and it was easy and it didn't cost anything. So it, when it was time for them to pass, um, Abraham said, well, she's the mother and we're the children. And so she's having us, she has a bag that's a sack that's big enough for all three of us to get on and sit down on. And apparently she's quite strong enough to pull all three of us. Oh my. So she, uh, <laughs> Mary, our lady of Rwanda pulls them from where they were in their afterlife passage to a better place as children riding on a little sled that she was pulling. Oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> yeah. It's sweet. She said, um, uh, my, she said, uh, it's all very sweet the way they honor me, but the real way that I lived was saving every scrap and finding a new, new use for it. And these people felt like they were scraps because they were in fact cut and hacked. Um, there's, they're going to find now that they're the raw material for beautiful creations. 
they're going to be not just once, but many times because it's eternity. They're going to find every bit of them, every scrap of them has a holy application. Everything they went through or ever did or thought or dreamt can be like the paste and the corn thing that he described in the dye bath. They're going to be the media of art for many creative projects because they've made themselves so trusting. They have every reason not to be very trustful, and yet they've overcome it. They have a sweetness that's extraordinary. Yeah, that is beautiful. That is just beautiful. Wow, but what a terrible thing. I mean, what's going on in, in Africa is that because it's really... Um, yeah, we don't always hear all of it. You know, it, I think there's just a kind of fatigue about um, bad news. And the Congo is always having uh, upset and a lot of uh, starvation up, uh, I guess, uh, Eritrea and Ethiopia have been having wars and Sudan and, and South Sudan. And I guess today it was, uh, where's Mogadishu? That was in the news today. Um, anyway, this was a sweet African story. And Mary was, Our Lady of Rwanda was on the job. So I have it. <laughs> that's going to be on the new book. And it's going to be uh, the, it's in the proposal of the talk I want to give at, at the IONS conference in September. No, that's lovely. That's they would they would love it, I but so. um, I I think it it emphasizes the fact that uh, uh, you know Mary and and Jesus were not uh, they they didn't wear the the crowns when they, when they were in the world. Oh heavens no! Uh, she told me a long time ago. She said, "I am not some delicate Christine figurine. Uh, I'm I was a hardworking woman who had dirt beneath my nails more often than not." Mary and Joseph were quite possibly slaves until uh, Jesus was 30 years old, and that's why his ministry started as late as it did. And I think the thing I would like most to emphasize is that this whole system that you are working is a, a system that was established by people in spirit. I mean, you didn't set out, Father Nathan, to become a rescue person. No, um when I describe my um, in front of a group, when people say, how did this all start? I go back to childhood. And I, I explained that in the first Afterlife Interrupted book. The early uh, chapters are really about how I was raised uh, in, the, in the Catholic Church to understand that I was a, a hybrid being that was on the earth and also a spirit being and that I had a family on earth and a family in heaven. And I learned to pray for what we call the souls in purgatory and help them advance. And I was very uh, faithful to doing that as a child. I fell asleep every night doing that. And uh, it was then, it's it, so it, even though it, years later, it, it manifested in this much more unusual way. I was raised to know that I could help people cross when I was tiny. But this whole system seems to have been worked out, not by you, but by partners, by beings, not in bodies, by angels and spirits who saw a need and found a a very empathetic priest that they knew that they could trust and rely on to do this work. And there you are. Yeah, there's one really sweet lady in, in the second book. Her name is Wilhelmina. She's an example of someone who didn't die violently, but her husband dropped dead in front of her about it, about nine years, I think, before she finally died. And it just shattered her. And she never recovered from it. Uh, and she always lived kind of apart from herself in a, in a dissociative state. Um, and in 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 her afterlife, she moved very slowly because she said, that's all I would permit. And her team said, well, we will not let you backslide. But you but if if going slow is what you choose, then we will go slow with you. But when she was ready to reengage and make this crossing, they uh, she said, uh, I, I was used to sitting in my front room of my house and paging through thick catalogs and catalog shop. She mentioned the J.C. Penney's and Sears catalogs. I remember those from my childhood. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, she she said, when it was time to choose a way to cross, they gave me a catalog and they just sat me down and said, you page through this until you see something that interests you. And she paged through lots of different ways that this might happen. And she turned to page and found me in a catalog and said, <laughs> oh, look, here's a Catholic priest that does this. I, I, ooh, I'm, I was Catholic. I think I'll choose this one. So that's, I mean, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You didn't even know you were in a catalog. I didn't, no, uh, but that was what was familiar to her. So that was what they gave her to work with. Oh, I think that's just great. Yeah. But but the point is that you're somebody that spirit trusted. And so they chose you to do this work. It's this funny because when they did, there was no uh, manual given me. Uh, it just happened. Uh, we, we told that story of Ray on previous shows of yours the first time that this all happened and the prayer partner I was with at the time, we just had to reason our way through it. You know, what, what we learned, what he wanted, what he needed. And uh, then we just said, okay, we'll get busy and help you. And one thing led to another. And then it, it morphed into a routine, especially that question that I mentioned earlier in this show. Can you think of anyone who loved you, who died before you did? Yes. In other words, do you have friends in high places? Do you have somebody that uh, could come back around and help you advance or ascend, however you want to think of it? Uh, and that just made sense and it worked. So I just stuck with that for the longest time. Yeah, but, but it, it just shows you how wonderfully, well, spirit is wonderful at, at reading people's hearts and choosing the right people to do the right work. But uh, yes. this and in the therapeutic part, uh, I deal with a lot of people that um, died either of suicide or maybe drug abuse uh, that that might have been preceded by depression or, uh, uh, I don't know, emotional pain that they didn't know what to do with other than to drug it out. Uh, and a lot of people that deal with mental health issues here or the people who love them find that it can be very hit and miss how the diagnoses happen and what medications are given or treatments and in the afterlife everything works the first time they always know exactly what needs to be done and people isn't are that amazing it's like yeah. a miracle yeah <laughs> oh my. and it's and it doesn't cost anything yes one guy from south america was a poor man and he woke up in one of these afterlife clinics and thought i must have gotten rich how did i get here <laughs> yes there are clean sheets and everything that I need is here. And they're giving me all kinds of things. I didn't even think to ask for. He thought he was just rich in the afterlife because he was in something like a clinic that only the rich could have afforded. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Oh, my dear friend, we could, I could talk with you all day long, but I always feel that way when you're here. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time. Um, we're going to have to have you back again. I, you're like an addiction, I must say. <laughs> but, All right. But, but, but will you please consider yourself hugged? Father Nathan's website is nathan-castle.com. And uh, his books are Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Crossover, and Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck souls crossover too and uh they're both you cannot put them down when you start reading so make sure you have an evening free uh they're just so enjoyable and everything what's amazing is uh everything in his books directly uh, correlates with what we know about the afterlife so this is all real stuff and i can't i mean thanks to you i learned something new about an area where I'm already an expert. I very few times does that happen. It's really amazing, amazing stuff. And when is the next one out? Do we know? Or you haven't even written it yet, so it'll be a while. I haven't. The stories are already in written form because I transcribe them. We record everything and and get it and get it transcribed, and then I edit the transcripts. So a lot of the work is done immediately. I'm hoping to have this one ready by the end of the summer. Oh, great. Super. Well, we'll have you back at least then, but maybe sooner than that. I'm also Thank working on another friend. book on the Gospel of John uh, as a as the script of a play rather than a short story. So you, you just you you just can't stop, can you? You're just so you're so full of energy. I just well, love that. Well, I'm looking forward to playing around with that one. Yeah, I, I, I know the feeling when you, when you get an idea, you just can't stop. 
Mm -hmm. Good for you. Big hug, my dear. All right. Well, God bless you and and uh, and God bless all of your listeners. Thank you, my dear. And again, Bye-bye. everyone, we have come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so happy you could be with us today. Please never forget that you are a powerful and eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you really get what that means, it changes everything in our life, your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be the wonderful, wonderful Craig Hogan. He'll, he'll be with us, believe it or not, for the 39th time. His record is perfect. He always has something different to talk with us about. And this time, it's going to be some of the fun things that people do after after wonderful, wonderful Father Nathan has helped them and they've finally made it to the afterlife. What are some of the fun things they do when they finally do get there? Of course, that's besides snowboarding with people like Mikey Morgan. You won't want to miss this. Please be sure to join us next week. And this week, we've been talking with the wonderful Father Nathan Castle. He's been with us for the sixth time, and he'll get to 39, I think, because we can't we can't get enough of Father Nathan. He's a Dominican priest with the full knowledge and approval of his church superiors. He helps stuck souls cross over. Father Nathan's work really is remarkable, and it's desperately needed. Because he carefully documents what he does, he's contributing substantially to the afterlife literature. I cannot say enough good things about such a sweet and beautiful human being. Thank you again, dear Father Nathan. I love to talk with him, I have to tell you. And now, of course, it's time once again to mention that Seek Reality Online is your one-stop source for all things death and the afterlife. Just go to seekreality.com and start to learn for yourself that it's impossible. It really is impossible for you ever to die. You can begin today to learn that your reality really is eternal. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Living Together, The Fun of Growing Forever, and The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. It's time, don't you think he had his turn? For young children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus, and you can order all these books through bookstores or on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Most of the adult books are also available as audiobooks. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available just about anywhere podcasts are found, and many people just tell me they listen each week through the Seek Reality app you can find for free wherever free apps are available. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, always knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you in particular in all the universe. You, most of all, are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.